Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have with us a special guest, Pastor Nabil Noor. He is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and the fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, Nabil. Good morning, my dear brother and blood-bought child of King Jesus, Jason, and the rest of you who will be listening to this uh, podcast later sometimes. Well, thank you for being so generous with your time to come to talk with us today. Uh, what I wanted to chat with you about is the conflict in the Middle East, the the really the ongoing conflict between the Is- Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, it is now most recently kind of being ramped up in the continual, dis- I guess, fighting um, over the Gaza Strip and other places. And when you watch the news, you either get a a kind of pro-Palestinian side or a pro-Israeli side. And I know there are Christians who live there because you grew up there and you're a Christian, a Lutheran. And it seems like they're always kind of left out of any of the discussion. There's no perspective of what the Christian is going through there. And uh, I thought I'd ask you, what was your experience uh, living there, growing up a Christian? Um, how did the Palestinians treat Christians? How did the Israelis Christ- treat Christians? And really, what should what should we as Christians in the United States be praying for? Uh, first and foremost, again, once more, I wish to thank you for having me as a guest on your broadcast and the ministry that you guys are doing with the Godestinus. And I pray that what we would discuss today will truly open up the eyes of the saints to see the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, and the mercy of Jesus. Before we begin, would you mind if we went to the throne of grace in prayer? So asking God for wisdom and discernment as I speak and as you listen and ask the questions. Please do. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, through the Apostle Peter, you say we should speak the truth in love and bring glory to your holy name. Help me, O Lord, and your servant Jason, as we discuss the conflict the ongoing conflict that is in my old country of Israel. And we pray that our discussion may be seasoned with the sweet message of the gospel, that all eyes will turn to you, the hope of glory. To that end, be present among us and use us in spite of us. In your name, most blessed Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the question, and uh, I will begin this way. I'm an Arab by nationality, Palestinian by race, and a Christian by grace. I will be 68 years old shortly. I migrated to this country in 1972 to go to school. And ironically, I was born in Nazareth, the same place where Jesus grew up 
and I often joke with the saints, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and I always say, yes, one thing and one thing only, and it is not me. <laughs> and that's very true. The focus is not on me, not on you, but it is on our blessed Lord and Savior. And I just finished a Bible study that I'm hoping to pass on to the Synod, um, the ongoing conflict between the Arabs and the Israelis and the Palestinian Christian from Nazareth caught in the middle, precisely what you asked the question of me. There mm -hmm. are Christians in Israel. We are declining, and there are very little Christians in the West Bank as well as in the Gaza Strip. We do have some, but very minimal. How have I been treated? That's a broad question, and I will say generally extremely well under the Israelis, except at different times in my livelihood, specifically when I was a young man, 14, 15, 16, and before I came to this country, it was not uncommon for me to be pulled over and to be asked all sort of questions, made sure I had my proper papers and all of that. And I know they did that in love and they wanted to do it for security, but it seems like they truly try to humiliate me as a Christian Arab living in the country. Mm -hmm. Having said this, I will also say, if you ask me, would I have a choice to live in the Arab world under the Islamic faith, or would I live under the Jewish, I will gladly say I will be more than happy to oblige to live under the Jewish people, because we can discuss things, we can talk to them. The Muslims, on the other hand, and when I say Muslims, we need to ident identify not only Arabs, because most of the time that's all lumped into it, because Arabs can be Christians as well as Muslims, or Palestinians for that matter, can be both Arabs or Christian, but Muslims mm -hmm. in general can be from any nationalities and from any country, okay? For example, mm -hmm. Pakistan, and others that are uh, full of Muslims. So I would choose to live under the Jewish government because it's completely different. As I said, I came to this country and migrated here in 1972 to improve myself, to grow up in wisdom and knowledge, and I wanted higher education. But in Israel, at the time I grew up in the 70s, 60s and the 70s, shortly after the Six-Day War, there was much conflict between the Arabs and um, the Jewish people. And so uh, just, just for an example, I would be walking down the street and I had somebody, literally a Jewish person, would spit on my face and called me Aravi Meluchlach, filthy Arab, Vinitsri Meluchlach, filthy Christian. I've had that done to me, but again, I don't want to generalize everyone that way because that's not always the case. In 1968, my father purchased a home in a town called Bat Galim, that's Hebrew for the Daughters of Wave, right on the beach of the Mediterranean, two blocks actually. And all of my friends were Jewish in that neighborhood. I had a lot of Arabs friends. 
my school, my community. But we lived in a Jewish neighborhood. And I do remember that in 1968, the Israeli television came to our house. I was just like 12 years old. And um, they asked my father, why did he choose to live as the only Palestinian Arab in the Bad Galim area surrounded by 10,000 Jewish people? And I was stunned at my father's response, are we not both the sons of Abraham? And that's where it really begins, St. Jason. The problem begins in the Old Testament. This uh, ongoing conflict is not recent. Hmm. It has been going on since the beginning of times of the patriarch. Remember, Father Abraham was married to Sarah, and God gave him a promise that he would have a son. But because they were fallen by sin and their heart was wicked, they decided to thwart God's plans as Adam and Eve did and decided to do things on their own. So Sarah gave Hagar to Father Abraham. And of course, he obliged and he was just as guilty because he was part of it. And they had a son called Ishmael, which means God hears. And then you have Isaac means laughter. And those were the two sons of um, Abraham. And if you study scripture clearly well, um, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, but Jacob has 12 sons and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. Ishmael has 12 sons and become the 12 tribes of the Muslim. And so this is not new. This has had been going on for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. if you read scripture very well, you will see that God said in Genesis that uh, for Ishmael, that is, his hand will be against everyone's hand and everyone's hand will be against his. And that's the fact. And so when you look at all of this, you will see this is not just recently on October the 7th when the 1,500 terrorists came across the border and butchered and murdered and caused mayhem and all kind of chaos among the Palestinian civilians, not military, but this is ongoing forever and ever. And it was increased when Muhammad in the 5th century began to take... um, power by the Islamic force of doing everything by the sword. And so when you look at this picture, you cannot just look at it at this time. You have to look at the history. When did this happen? Why did it happen? And what is the outcome of it? And so let me just kind of uh, do a little background here a little bit. These yeah, 12 I'm- sons of... Because I'm curious about, like, why this strip of land? I mean, it seems like this it's in some ways came out of the you know, the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948, um, you know, in the post-World War II consensus. But, I mean, I recognize that, you know, biblically speaking, there are, you know, longer strains, but kind of over this part, it seems like it came out of this 
establishment in 1948? Very good question and very good comment, a very good observation. In 1948, May the 14th, Israel got its independence from the English. During, before the English were in my country, the Turks were there. And of course, most of the Arabs lived in harmony with the Jewish people. And then when the English decided to leave, they decided to split the land between the Palestinians as well as the um, Christians. However, the Palestinians did not want to do anything about uh, that. They did not want to live side by side against the Israelis. And so war erupted between the two, the war of independence, and Israel won. But violence was also done by the Israelis against the Arabs. Uh, about 700,000 Palestinians, my paternal grandmother, uh, my paternal grandfather left to go to Lebanon because he was a wealthy man and he was afraid that the Jewish people will kill him and that he would come back the second day or the day after and he never returned to the land. It was taken by the Israelis and still occupied till today. And during that time of the 700,000 Palestinians who left, there were atrocities done by the Jewish people which saddens me to say they were doing to the Palestinian Arabs what the Nazis did to them. They poisoned some of the water wells. Uh, they took some men and uh, young men from the villages, never to be seen again. Now, granted, Israel did not start the war. The Palestinians did. The Israelis won, and the Palestinians lost. So in 1948, it was a small country. Then in 1967, what we call the Six-Day War, mm -hmm. Jordan, Egypt, and Syria attacked Israel. And Israel won again and won the whole West Bank, including the Gaza Strip. And so the Gaza Strip has been under occupation since 1967. And it's a difficult life to live because you have to cross the border from one place to the next. It's easy for me to go as a Christian into the Palestinian territories of the West Bank or even Gaza than a Palestinian himself. So, yeah. for example, what do I mean by very difficult? They made it a miserable hell, they, the Israelis, for the Palestinians to come over. Every time you would come over, you would have to be almost strip search, which I actually was. And um, so if you traveled in and out of the country, uh, I'll, I'll speak about my experiences personally. So in 1972, mm -hmm. when I came to this country, I was supposed to leave, but they emptied my luggage completely, every single thing. And then when I would come back to the country, just envision this, I'm sitting in the plane waiting to de-embark, and I'm sitting not right next to the gate. We would be about a mile away from the gate, and the military with their machine guns would come, and they would call every Palestinian name or Arab name for that matter to come out of the plane 
and we would be escorted out. You just think of that humiliation. And if that's not enough, what are you coming to do here? Why are you visiting? You know, I talk about going to see my family. Then Mm -hmm. they would take me to a private room where I'm supposed to strip search completely, completely strip down, and they would search me. You talk about humiliation of this. Mm-hmm. And so I, I experienced that firsthand. And then when I would mm-hmm. go back, there's a checkpoint about two to three hour, uh, two to three miles from the airport, and they would pull me over. And then I would be, again, strip searched. Mm-hmm. All of my baggage, every single item would be uh, completely um Uh, removed out of the luggage. And I would say, listen, I'm going to be missing my flight. Mm -hmm. Shut up and sit down. So humiliation was done. Having, go ahead, dear brother. Um, So the Israelis won both of those initial wars, the one in 48 and then in- Yes, they won 1948. They won in 1967 and they won in 1973. Um, initially, though, how, how did Israel? Um, you, they they surely didn't do this alone. Oh no 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 no! Uh, the Zionist movement in the mm-hmm. late eighteen hundred and early nineteen, they start sending money to Israel, and mm-hmm. they brought all sorts of uh, money into the country to turn it around. They were preparing for this. Mm-hmm. Of course, the U.S. had a lot of involvement in it because uh, the, the vote that came from the U.S. was the one that declared that Israel would become independent country. Mm-hmm. Okay, So they yeah. were gathering from all over. So it wasn't just the last minute detail. They decided, okay, we're going to come here. No, Herzl Weizmann was... Uh, into the country and sending a whole bunch of money over there. There was a lot of donors, which is wonderful. They want to do country, and I have no problem with that. They wanted to do the honorable thing to make a home for them to go to their country that God has promised to them. And so they did well. And the Arabs and the Jewish people lived very well right next to each other. But when the war broke out, then the animosity increased, okay? but not with every single person, if that makes sense. And, you know, I talked about how they made it difficult for me in particular. I can't speak about others, but I've seen with my eyes and I heard with my ears how they treat Arabs coming in or trying to get out. I mean, um, I like my wife had, or my sister-in-law, excuse me, had... Um, what do they put on their finger? Fingernail polish. And it mm-hmm. had a ring in it. It took about an hour for them to decipher what was in it. It's that how much detailed in it. And then when you're going to the line, they'll let the Jewish pass by you and you stand in line until they check you thoroughly. Which again, I honor that they want to have the right to survive. I don't want any harm to come their way. But in that process, we are treated as third-class citizens and humiliation is par excellence. Now, in defense of Israel, they fought against the Palestinian, but the Palestinian and the Arab countries came against them. And their main message and their main message is we're going to obliterate Israel out of the face of the earth. Here is the irony of all of this conflict, dear brother. Israel is willing to live with peace, with the Palestinians, with Hamas, 
with Hezbollah if they are willing to live in peace, but they don't want to do so. Hamas, by its very definition, which is a Hebrew word, and it's mentioned in the scripture at least 69 different times. Mm -hmm. And yesterday I was on KFUO and Jonah has the same word Hamas in verses 3 and verse 10, that the people relented of violence. That's the word Hamas, literally means violence. But Hamas has in its charter, they are going to wipe out the country of Israel. Mm. But if it wasn't Hamas, it was the Fatah before them, and you have Hezbollah, and so you have all the Muslim world do not want Israel to coexist. In 2005, I believe it's August the 13th, I may be wrong, but I believe it's August the 13th, Israel in good gesture, having won in 1967 all the way the Sinai to Egypt, and the Gaza Strip decided to return it for peace so that we can dwell in peace and harmony without fighting. And so all the settlements that were in Israel were dismantled. They turned it over for the hope that we can live with peace. We have lived with the Egyptians in peace because we have access to go now between the borders, but Hamas refused to give any ounce of that peace. They want to kill every Jewish person. And it's a difficult challenge for both of these nationalities. The Israeli should have the right to live in peace, and so should the Muslims, as well as the Palestinians, or the Arabs live in peace. Unfortunately, both of these um, sons of Abraham do not believe in the Messiah nor his grace, nor his forgiveness, and thus mm -hmm. they do not practice except an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Mm -hmm. And there will never be peace in the Middle East. Never be peace in the Middle East. Why? Unless you know the Prince of Peace personally, you will never have peace, neither in your heart nor in your head, nor in your land. Because mm -hmm. only Jesus, the eternal priest bringer and peace provider through his death and resurrection, gives us the power to forgive our enemy. And that's really important. Neither the Jewish people acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and neither do the Palestinian uh, Muslims, I I'm going to use that term, the Muslims, in particular Palestinian Hamas or any Muslim that carries that, is the ones who say uh, Jesus was not truly the son of God. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. Now, in uh, in they, your experience, did who was more willing to listen to you? I, I mean, I know like historically... Uh, the Quran acknowledges Jesus as a prophet, and historically, you know, the the Jewish people think he was a false prophet. Is there is there any sense in your experience that one side is more open to hearing than another, or are they just both uh, stiff necked and hard hearted people, as the Bible says? They are both stiff necked. But mm -hmm. at the same time, remember what the scripture teaches. God's word is efficacious and it will never come back to us empty. Mm -hmm. 
or to him mm. empty. It will accomplish that for which God sent it. Now, we do have some Muslims who have become Christians, but at a high cost, they are cut off from their family. Mm. The same things with the Jewish people. We do have Jewish people who have become Christians. We have a deaconess from Israel right now in Florida who is from Israel. I have a dear friend of mine, Steve Cohen, who is, uh, I don't believe he is now, but he used to be the chairman of the Apple of His Eye ministry of our LCMS, like Jewish Jews for Jesus. So we mm -hmm. do have Christians, uh, Jewish, excuse me, Jewish people who are followers of Yeshua. We do have Muslims who are following uh, followers of uh, Isa in Arabic, they would say, or Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, truly, in the Quran, they mention Jesus, and they mention that he had made miracles and that he is the word of God and he is the spirit of God. But they mm -hmm. say it, he was not crucified, neither did he die because God would not do that. Mm -hmm. Now, the Jewish right. people use an acronym. The name of Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. But rather than using the word Yeshua, they'll say Yeshu. And that is used for an acronym, Yimche Shmo Vizichrel, which is may his name and memory be obliterated. Now, again, this is not all the Jewish people, and again, this is not all the Muslim people, but in general, those who um, hold tightly to the scriptures go with that um, um, thought pattern. And this yeah. is why it is so difficult and so challenging for us and these people to come together. Now, you ask the question, who is easier to visit with? Now, I grew up in Israel, fluent in Hebrew. I have a lot of fluent uh, friends. I would be more than happy to sit with them. They may listen. They may not like what I'm saying, but they at least will listen to me without killing me. Okay? Mm -hmm. However, if I were to talk like this with a Muslim, I don't know what the consequences may be. And so it's a very challenging thing for me, really stuck in the middle, like my Bible study states, because if I take sides with the Jewish people, the Arab Muslims would think I'm taking side with them, therefore I'm against them. And if I stand with the Arab Muslims, the Jewish people are going to think, hey, this is wrong. And so I'm right down in the middle. And many of the Christians have left Israel because we really are stuck in the middle and the hardship is increasing. So just to give you an example, five years ago, maybe six years ago, Bethlehem was more Christians than Muslims. A lot of them have left and now the numbers have increased. I believe the only place where it's still the majority of Christians over Muslims is in Nazareth, my home birthplace. And so it's it's a very challenging, uh, how do we go forward? How do we move them to have hope? What is the solution to the conflict of this situation? Simply yeah. put, number one, repent of the sin of doing eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Number two, 
call upon the name of Jesus to forgive your sins and that you would be willing to bow the knee by the Holy Spirit and say, you are my Lord, you are my God. And so only, only when we can look at the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, can I have mercy and compassion on those who have um, done harm for me? You know, mm-hmm. um, and if you look at the Israeli power, they are extremely powerful, and they use their wisdom wisely to, mm-hmm. um, you know, obliterate their enemies, as you see on television every day in the Gaza Strip. And now Hezbollah, it sounds like they're going to start um, sending rockets from there. And I have a lot of family back there, and thank God they're all well. They're not willing to sit down because... Uh, they are going to get even. So the fifteen, uh, the 1,400 people or 1,500 people that have died in the um, Israeli side and the 3,500 that have died in the Gaza Strip so far, these are collateral damage. Innocent mm-hmm. people are caught in the middle. The Jewish people, on the one hand, cherish life and like life. The Muslims don't care about that as long as they eradicate and obliterate Israel. And the reason for that, because they think it is part of the devil. In Arabic, they call Israel al-Shatan al-Saghir, the small Satan, and the United States of America, al-Shatan al-Kabir, the big Satan. So we are called as enemies, you know, because we are Christians, and we support Israel, as you see. And I don't want to support just the Israelis. I want to support all people because God died for all people. This is why he sent his son. Mm-hmm. So as Christians then in the United States, it, it does put us in a, a difficult position, doesn't it? When our government acts in a particular way and we would prefer... Uh, um, I don't know, spiritual action. Very good observation. If you look at the media in particularly, the focus is primarily on Israel, um, saving Israel, saving the land, because they think Israel is the promised land, which, of course, I don't agree with that. I believe the land of Israel is a place Jewish can live there, Arab can live there. The promised land is heaven, and Jesus promised that to all who follow him. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. So it's only through Jesus that we have possession to the eternal land, the promised land, the real land, not Mm. a piece of uh, geography in the Middle East, even though a lot of the evangelicals make uh, a big deal about it. And right now on the internet, if you do search, everybody is talking about, oh, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it may be. I don't know. And I really don't care. <laughs> what I care that the gospel light will go forth from our lips and from our action. That people who see us may see Christ in us, like Dr. Luther would say, and that we would reflect his love. Because he said two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. This is what we are called to do. So we ought to love the Palestinians and we ought to love the Jewish. 
Now, here is where my heart is broken, dear brother. You talk about the pain and the suffering that we see right now. The houses blowing up, hospitals, streets and everything, and the tragedy of people laying on the ground. That is bad in and of itself. However, to me, what is worse, most of these people who have died don't know the grace and the love of Jesus. Mm. And without Jesus and without his mercy and compassion, you know the outcome of those. And so my prayer is both the Jewish people and the Palestinian people and the Arab people and the Muslim people would truly bow the knee before Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. Because without him, there is no salvation. Without him, there is no forgiveness. And without him, there is no life. And let me put it in in a good way, as my dear friend John from Iowa always asks me, Nabil, will it make any difference a hundred years from today? Maybe not for me, because I'm not going to live another hundred years. I'll be 68 next week. However, it does make a difference in the economy of God's grace. This is why you asked me earlier, what can we do? Mm -hmm. And what a wonderful, gracious question. You show your heart because you care, my dear brother. And here's what I like to say. What should we do? Pray that these two sons of Abraham would know Jesus as the only way for peace. Because without him, there is no peace. Why? Because the devil will always say they are not worthy of life. Kill them. Remember what, jo- what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I came to give my life for the people. I am the good shepherd. And then following after that, he said, the thief comes only to kill and to destroy. Mm-hmm. That's what the devil like. And so you and I, as the followers of Jesus, ambassadors of the gospel, we go out and we proclaim God's good tidings that came through Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. And we communicate that in the best possible way without thinking, I am better than the Jewish people, nor am I better than the Muslim people. I'm a sinner in need of grace, just like they do. And thank God he gives it to us through his crimson blood shed on Calvary's cross. So our prayers then should be focused not on simply a makeshift solution of causing peace here in time, but rather the peace that passes all understanding to come into both sides' hearts so that this peace is for their and their child for them and their children uh, in the real promised land in heaven. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, if you look at the history of since 1948, how many peace treaties have they signed? Okay. <laughs> we yeah. do know in 1981, um, Anwar Sadat, Menachem Begin, as well as Jimmy Carter signed a peace treaty, but that have faltered and gone by the wayside. The Israelis gave back 
their land uh, for Egypt and to the Gaza Strip in the hope of peace. Peace have failed. If you look at the Lebanese borders, the same thing. We do have peace with Jordan, but now who knows how long that's going to be with all of the riots that's going on. I read something a long time ago. It goes this way. No, N-O, no Christ, N-O, no peace. The next line below it, K-N-O-W, no Christ, no peace. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's very important that we understand this. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you cannot forgive if you do not know Jesus Christ, there is no peace. That truly is. And what saddens me, brother, what saddens me is the idea we are going to punish these Palestinians for what they have done, okay? However, that is not going to build a relationship. In my Bible study, I have this sentence. Relationships do not thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent one is merciful. And of course, yeah. Jesus Christ is the innocent one who is merciful to us sinners. So only yeah. when we can speak of God exquisite, agape love, his Hebrew word chesed, then can we break down walls and build bridges and turn hearts of hatred into living stones through the eternal rock, Jesus Christ. Without that, there is no way for peace. And if I may be so bold to share this experience, I said that my maternal, my maternal grandfather left Jaffa of Nazareth and went to Lebanon in the hope that he would come back. He never came back, and he had a lot of land. He had a lot of property. He had a lot of things, and he went over there. And so I never knew my mom's family. Mom, my mom was the only one that was married and was in Israel with my father. So I never knew my grandparents, my uncles, my cousins, until when I came to the United States of America in 1972. In 1974, uh, my two uncles migrated from Lebanon first to Germany and from Germany to the United States. So I went to visit my uncle. And my first experience, I was talking how well I liked living under the Jewish government and how well I have so many friends that I really got along with. I played soccer. They came to my home. I went to their home. There was no issues between us at all, between my friends and I. So then he said to his son, Elias, which is Elijah, uh, he said, uh, Elias, what is a good Jew? My cousin runs to the closet, brings a gun, and says a good Jew is a dead Jew. Hatred is taught, just like love is with us all the time. You, you, you talk about children and you see them loving each other. doesn't make a difference the color of the skin, the hair, or the eyes, or anything. They don't know any difference. But hate is taught. On the other mm. hand, agape is given freely by the grace of God. And you and I, as the followers of Jesus, are privileged and honored 
to show that exquisite agape love that knows no limits, no height, no depth, no length or width, because that's the love they need to know. And most of these people, the Jewish and the Arabs, know nothing of this. They have lived in violence and they produce violence and they continue to do so. So it it sounds like you know this long history it, both sides have perpetrated atrocities both sides have been at the receiving end of those atrocities and there's this constant kind of fault finding kind of blame game uh, and eventually it, like you say forgiveness is necessary and so there there needs to be like okay maybe it's not your fault but it is your responsibility to and uh, and how you move forward so maybe maybe the fault isn't yours but you have a responsibility to act in a proper way moving forward is there a sense where there's just a no willingness to give up those past faults and only live in those things I think you touched on a uh, the human frailty, as Scripture talks about. We are all mm-hmm. fallen. Remember, even in the Garden of Eden, Adam blamed God for giving him Eve. Eve blamed Adam for allowing her, uh, the devil, excuse me, to do so. So the blame game has been ongoing ever since the Garden. It has not changed. It's not going to change. We we do it all the time. I'm not at fault, right? We don't want to take the blame. And no one is willing to say, Lord, please forgive me and help me to look at them through the lens of the gospel. And that's really important. So I shared earlier about my uncle. Mm-hmm. So he, like me, was raised as a Catholic only by name. We really did not know the scripture because Catholicism was not... Um, permitted to have a Bible in your home. So I never read the scripture when I was home until I came to this country. And so did my uncle when he came to this country. And now my uncle is a follower of Jesus. His attitude of bitterness is not like it used to be. Why? Because he have tasted the gift of forgiveness and the grace that God has for him. Just like me, I lost a lot of property through my mother, which I would have inherited from my Mm -hmm. grandpa. That land was all gone. The camels were gone. The donkeys were gone. All of that really uh, just made it difficult. And when I was younger, I had a lot of hatred because I thought the material wealth is going to make me very happy. (laughs) But unfortunately, that's not the case. Now, people say, Nabil, are you rich? I said, I always respond, I'm one of the richest people you will ever meet. And they say, how? Two things. Number one, I am the king. I'm the son of the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus the Christ. And I'm an heir to his throne. That's number one. And number two, I have a friend in every state of the union. And I have friends all over the world. I'm truly rich. One of the richest men you'll ever meet, Jason. Why? Because my wealth is not dependent on my property, my bank account, but on the treasure of heaven, which knows no limit that Christ gives to me. 
This is the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to put my hope in a piece of property, a little land, a parcel of land in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. That may come to me, may not go to my children or vice versa. And really, who cares? It's a piece of property. But the eternal treasures of heaven is where the wealth comes in and that no one can take from me. This is why I can say with humility that it is the most beautiful thing that God has given to me. He loves me in spite of me, and he has forgiven me, not because I'm so good, but only because he is so wonderfully compassionate, merciful, gracious, and loving. And if people can conceive this, the Holy Spirit will work on their hearts to change their lives. Mm -hmm. And we know that for a fact. We know that for a fact that the grace of God is more than sufficient to turn any hardened heart to follow him. The problem, as you know, because you're a pastor, the problem is when they harden their heart. And I think the word you used earlier, St. Jason, is they are stiff necked. They are not willing to listen to the scripture and let the scripture speak to soothe the heart, wipe away the evil, and show them the bright light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Nabil, for your time and your insight. Uh, this was, uh, well, heartbreaking to hear your story, but also enlightening and really quite hopeful of, you know, what the gospel does and is able to do in the lives of all those who cling to it, and how the hope that is promised to us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus is uh, beyond comparing with the present sufferings of this present age, such that we could even be content with, as St. Paul says, delight in the weakness and the sufferings and the beatings that we endure because of the name of Jesus. So thank you for your time and your insight um, and blessings on all that you continue to do uh, to reach those who are lost in their sins and in the rejection and hardness of their heart against Jesus. Thank you, dear brother Jason. May I kind of finalize these thoughts? Thank you first for having me. I'm honored, truly humbled for the privilege to do this. And I pray that people don't see me. I'm not that important. My Savior is. But let me just read a couple of paragraphs from my Bible study that I'm going to share with you here shortly. The hope of the baptized, beloved, beautiful, blessed, and blood-bought children of King Jesus is not placed on the current events in the Middle East, but rather we are called by the Holy Spirit to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Yeshua is our only hope in this fallen world because he is the sin bearer. We have hope and peace that lasts to eternity. And then the final paragraph. We, the followers of Jesus, can make a difference in the lives of those two nationalities, 
the Jews and the Arabs, specifically the Muslims, by letting them see us as God's agents of mercy and compassion, and our lips send out words with verbs of love and nouns of mercy. And finally, from Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the greatest privilege that God gives to you and to me, dear brother. He does not give it to angels like Peter tells us, but he gives it to you and to me that we make a difference in the lives of people. If I may be bold to take just a couple more minutes. So when I left the country, I was a troublemaker because I grew up in a very hard, difficult time as you, as I shared with you and the audience. But I came here as a Christian Catholic, but just a lukewarm follower of Jesus. I didn't know much about him. I didn't know what grace. I knew what the law required of me, what I needed to do. But here in this big place where the Arab, most of the Arab world were called the big shaitan or the big Satan, I heard the message of forgiveness and the grace of God. And thanks to my wife, I became a Lutheran because she spoke of the gospel in such a way that I wanted what she had and the joy that she had. And so I start reading the scripture, and then I went back home, and I sat at home in my living room reading the scripture. My father comes in one day, and he says, Nabil, would you tell me what happened to you? You left this country as a devil. You came back as an angel. End of quote. I said, Father, sit down. Let me tell you about Jesus, my Savior and Lord. I have never stopped talking about my Lord and my Savior until my final breath I will speak about his love so that those who have never experienced it, those who have never known that great compassion, the wonderful mercy, the agape, unconditional, exquisite love, that they may know him and truly bow their hearts and turn from their wicked ways and follow him, because without him, there is no hope. Without him, there is no help. Without him, there is no heaven. May the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit hear our prayers on behalf of the people in the Middle East and help us to be an instruments and agents of mercy so that they may see us, that they may see Christ in us. To him alone be the glory today and forever. Amen. Well said, brother. Thank you for your time and, uh, and all that you've shared with us today. It's my pleasure. May God richly bless you and strengthen you as you serve our church and in the ministry that you are doing. And thank you for having me as your guest today. 